Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father, through the Lord Jesus. Amen. Today, again, is the Sunday that we remember the Reformation. Um, Even though today isn't Reformation Day, this is the Sunday that we observe it. And I was reminded, um, as I was preparing for this, of Luther translating the scriptures in his day into German so that the regular people could understand what was being said and what was being read. Because otherwise, if you weren't part of sort of a more elite group of people that had a higher education to know Latin, you really didn't have much of a clue of what was going on when the scriptures were read or when services were done. I was also reminded of the invention of the Gutenberg printing press, which had happened a number of years prior, which was a huge technological advancement in the availability of the scriptures and other print material made a major shift um, in our general history. And as I was reflecting on these things, I, I thought it would be fitting to talk about the scriptures and their formation today. Because how we understand the scriptures and even the historical formation, I believe, really shapes how we understand ourselves in the world. Paul writes to Timothy, all scripture is theopneustos, theopneustos. Theopneustos sometimes gets translated as God-breathed or inspired by God, because to inspire is to breathe into something. And the scriptures, I think it's important to point out when he says all scripture is God-breathed, that all really seems to be referring to the Tanakh, the Torah, the prophets, and the writing. It doesn't mean we don't apply it to the New Testament. I'll get that to today. But Paul, after all, is talking to Timothy about sacred texts that he has known from his childhood, which wouldn't have included all of the New Testament documents at that point, because many of them may not have been written or may not even have been in the area circulating where Timothy was. So this word theopneustos, it carries with it a sense of something being divine in some way, because the word theos means God. The word pneustos comes from the verb for breathe, But it's also connected to the word pneumatos, which means spirit. So spirit and breath, spirit and breathing, these words, both in Greek and Hebrew, um, are connected in different ways. And we have taken up the pattern of referring to the scriptural texts as God's word, which is an appropriate title that we use for these words. But what that means, that they are God's word, has been different to different groups over time. For instance, some imagine, and I'm going to put this rather crassly, that the Bible, as sort of like a final book, just sort of showed up in history one day when the last letter was written. Some people kind of jokingly say it kind of just dropped out of the heavens and suddenly there it was, the full finished bound project completed. Sort of usually around like the middle of the first century, this format of a bound copy, sometimes it's thought, was circulating, circulating around the Mediterranean mass, and every congregation had access to all the same text all at the same time. Again, I'm putting this crassly. The reality is, is that the technology to create a bound book, sometimes called a codex, especially a bound book of this size, did not exist in the first century. They're smaller codexes, but the ability to get paper this thin and bound together with that many pages, it just, it didn't exist. What they had and had for a long time prior were parchments and scrolls. 
And no scroll was long enough to contain all of these texts, and so you would have a collection of scrolls, for instance, for the Tanakh. In fact, the earliest codex, the earliest bound book that we have that includes both, again, what we call the New Testament and the Old, and the Old Testament, the earliest we copy we have comes from about 300 years after Jesus, and it's called Codex Sinaiticus. And kind of an interesting fact, in the New Testament portion, it contains a few other writings that we don't use today. So this idea that when the last letter was written, the Bible was finalized as a project and just circulated in mass doesn't really have any historical credibility. Some imagine that the scriptures, um, when it comes to them being God's word, because this is such an important attribute for these texts, some imagine that the scriptures are authoritative in their original languages. Meaning, if you get your hands on a copy of the text that Paul himself wrote in Greek, then you've got a real, full, 100% divine copy of God's word. But this gets to be a bit of a problem because we don't have any original copies. We don't. We have some fragments and some portions of copies from the first century, but nothing that necessarily seems to be what people would think of as original. And if we did have them, another major problem is that none of us could really, should, I would say most of us here, I'm not one of them, okay, I'm not one of them, could not really engage with these texts because we're not fluent in Koine Greek. So God's word would always be elusive to us. Every time we gather and hear the scriptures read in English, we'd have to somehow honor to say these aren't really authoritative for us because they're not the original texts. We have developed this sense somehow over time that this idea of God breathed, inspired by God, means that it's untouched by human hands because we want to protect this quality of it being God's words. It is almost as if if these documents had had any human mark on them or any human interaction at all, that it would somehow ruin their status as God breathed or inspired. But the reality is, is that human interaction doesn't spoil the scriptures as God breathed. When God takes dirt that was mixed with water on the second page of Genesis and forms it into a human being, what does he do? He breathes into that dirt. Breathes his spirit into it. Breathes his spirit into humanity and humanity becomes right a living being. Humans become living beings. Humanity and harmonious fellowship with God is created to be filled with the Spirit, to be enlivened by the very breath of God. And for what purpose? To do human stuff, right? To do human stuff, to work the ground, to build communities together, to move the project of God's Eden blessing forward out into the world. God breathed, even on page two of the Bible, is not devoid of human interaction, but something that fully embraces it and brings it into communion with God. The whole point of God breathing is that humans could carry out the fullness of their human work that God created them to do in full connection and fellowship with God. There's another amazing moment of this when God gives Moses directions for building the tabernacle. The tabernacle, again, that mobile tent uh, that God said he would dwell with his presence in. 
He says in Exodus 31, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God. Filled with the Spirit of God. For what purpose? To devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood, and to work in every craft. This doesn't seem to be like an instantaneous, miraculous event in which there's this guy who is not capable of doing any sort of handiwork or crafts, and suddenly God zaps him, and now he's just a genius in being able to make everything. No, what it seems to be, because the text talks about ability and intelligence and knowledge and craftsmanship, is that this knowledge and ability and skill he probably learned from family and others, and that he had to put a lot of work in towards mastering these skills, but all of it, all of it is somehow also attributed to the very Spirit of God that has brought him into these blessings and gifts in fellowship with God. Over and over again, when the Spirit shows up in these scriptural texts, it's not doing so devoid of human interaction, but rather embracing humanity and bringing it into fellowship with Yahweh so that it can carry out the very human work that God created them to do. The Spirit speaks, for instance, not through disembodied mouths, but through mouths with tongues and teeth, through the throats of the prophets, for instance. The formation of the Scriptures is not devoid of human hands and human interaction, but rather it's God's Spirit working through human beings, in a very human way. For instance, the opening of Luke's account of the gospel, he tells his writers that he's writing a diegesis. A diegesis is a very specific literary genre uh, from the ancient world. And if I remember correctly, it involves usually an adolescent story of the main character to hint about something later on in their life. And what do we have? Luke is the only one who includes an adolescent story about Jesus. Luke talks about, in the opening of his writing, how he did research, research in order to write his gospel. It didn't come to him like water through a pipe. He worked at it. He spoke with people. He was familiar with eyewitnesses. He apparently read other accounts or portions of Jesus' life that some others had written. And I don't know what to make of this, but he calls them attempts. He's aware of all these other attempts that people are making at trying to write down Jesus' life in an orderly way. And he wants to weigh in because he thinks he can have a good go at it and write something great. This is a very human process. Research, compiling, interacting, writing. But it's not devoid of the Spirit. It is entirely filled up and inspired with the Spirit because God's Spirit is given to people to carry out human work. I remember a Dr. Jeffrey Cloa at the seminary when I was there, uh, who is an expert in ancient uh, biblical texts and comparing them and looking at differences between the texts. And he shared with one of our classes a, a picture of an old scriptural manuscript. And in the margins, um, the scribe that was working on copying this text down would include a note in the margins about the weather. It was sunny today. Block of text that they copied down. It was rainy today. Block of text that they would copy down. And near one of these notes, 
was a smiley face that the scribe had written. Drew on there, right? It just, it was amazing to see, like, wow, these are human beings doing this work and, like, being highly skilled of writing these things down. The scriptures are God-breathed, which means they were created by people who were skilled in speech and writing, skilled in compiling, skilled in the art of making things like parchments and vellum, which vellum is animal skin that you scrape down real thin and dry and you can make it into a very expensive writing material. And this is not a testimony against divine interaction. It's rather directly in line with our confession of who God is and how he chooses to interact with the world. We confess as a church that Jesus is both God and man. And not like he's 50% God and 50% man to make some total of 100%. Not that he's like 99% God or 100% God, and he's just got like a little bit of a facade of being a human, but he is the fullness of God dwelling in him, 100% divine. He is the fullness of God, and yet he is also 100% human. He is the God-man, and this is for our salvation Because we confess that Jesus was crucified, and that means it wasn't just some guy hanging on a cross. There were lots of those, as horrible as it was. But that when Jesus dies, the God-man dies, that somehow God was crucified. That the body of the God-man was laid in the tomb. If it wasn't God and man there on the cross and in the tomb, we would have no hope for salvation whatsoever. For what salvation would there be if it was one more human crucified? Or if God conquered death, but somehow the humanity of Jesus didn't, what hope for us is that in having our own flesh raised from the dead? It's both, right? Jesus is 100% God, 100% man, all in one, all the time, from his conception to today. And while Jesus is the fullness of God in the flesh, I hope that we can see that this has also been God's pattern throughout history, according to our scriptures. It has always been to move towards humanity in human terms, in human means, God, again, breathes into the dirt, into the nostrils, and forms a human. He empowers Bezalel by his spirit to do a bunch of craft work for the tabernacle. We trust that things like water, this created liquid that covers most of our planet and makes up most of our body, that water, but combined, combined with the divine word and promise of God, is in fact God's interaction with humanity. It's not one or the other, but somehow it's always both when it comes to baptism. That God repeatedly uses created means to deliver his blessing, as we trust he does with bread and wine. That even when we come together and we eat, and it remains bread and wine, it also at the same time is 100% the very body and blood of Jesus. Human and divine, right? Created stuff and divine stuff all bound together because God keeps moving towards the creation in this way. The scriptures are one of many amazing gifts that God gives to us that fits into this pattern of God's way of interacting with the world. 
The scriptures are God's creation, and I think it's very good and important for us to confess that. They are God's word, 100%. They're also human words, human documents and creations, 100%, somehow both at the same time. They are written by specific people to specific groups and specific moments in history and context. And yet they've also been copied and handed down to us to be received as this important sort of document that we call Scripture. The formation of the Scriptures, like the history of their formation, is deeply human and messy and complicated. When I teach at CSP, I usually have about an hour and a half class just on this topic. There's so much more here. But it doesn't mean that because they have all of this human interaction that they should somehow be ignored. And it definitely doesn't mean it somehow negates that the sacred writings are God's word for us. It doesn't negate the fact that the sacred writings are God's instrument that he uses to make us wise unto salvation through faith in Jesus, as Paul says. We trust that the purpose and transmission, the use of these texts is both God and human work, all at the same time. We can't separate them. And that somehow those things are all again in step and intertwined by the Spirit. Why I bring all of this up with you today is not simply so that you're more informed about the formation of these documents that we cherish as Scripture. Though, to be entirely honest, I want you informed about this. Because I know that there are people that have walked away from the faith when they start to learn about the history of these things and say, I can't trust any of it. It's not the case. It's not the case. These texts are a class of texts that, again, is wholly unique for us. We don't have any other texts that we refer to as scripture. They are normative for us, right? We trust that they are faithful accounts of Jesus, who is the revelation of God, and we base our teachings and our understanding of God and the world on what these texts offer to us. But these texts, and I would argue, again, even their historical formation shapes how we see ourselves in the world. I was at a circuit pastors meeting this week, and I was speaking with Bob Holst. Um, Bob Holst um, used to be the president of CSP. He also was a missionary in Papua New Guinea, if I remember correctly. And uh, he made this comment to the group. The people around us in the world may not read the Bible, but they read us. The people around us in the world may not read the Bible, but they read us. We, by God's grace, have been brought into fellowship, into communion with God by Jesus. This Jesus who wasn't only crucified and risen from the dead on our behalf for our salvation, but who also breathes into us the Spirit. The Spirit of God, it lives in you and in me and our ordinary mundane lives, the various skills, our abilities that we have, the tasks that we've been working at for years or decades, even the things that may drive us nuts in some way that we have to do again and again, these we are to trust are something that we have been blessed to go about doing in a new way, in a way that is in step with the Spirit, and therefore in step with the very joy and salvation of Jesus the Lord. We are empowered and blessed by the Spirit of God, the same Spirit that shaped these texts we cherish. That Spirit is in you and in me. 
And it shapes us so that the message of Jesus might be read by the world and how we speak and how we live. Regardless of whether somebody or else or not opens a Bible to read it, again, they read us. But these are texts that we read, right? The Bible is a book that we open, that we cherish together and as individuals. And so we keep going back to these documents. We keep going back to these texts that we trust are holy and uniquely scripture for us that shape how we live and understand the world. And we keep learning to cherish them more and more and more. And to trust that God uses these scriptures as his tool to make us wise. To make us wise unto salvation through faith in Jesus. And so we live in that wisdom. We live working to live in step with the Spirit as God continues to move towards us by his grace. Now may the peace that passes all understanding guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.